It's good to be in the house of the Lord today. I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 2 as we take a break from our study in Revelation this morning and focus in on our stewardship season. Acts chapter 2 and we're going to begin in verse 37. Ross mentioned it. It's been, a, it's been a while that we've been in this pandemic. It's actually been uh, 20 months since the pandemic was declared. And I remember a few weeks into the pandemic, I don't know if you remember this, there were some experts that told us that it would be, uh, that, it, that it might go to the end of 2021 or into 20, 2022. And I remember thinking, no way, there's no way. They're crazy. They don't know what they're talking about. It's not going to go into 2022. And here we are. Uh, so they were right and I was wrong. And it's interesting how conversations we have now um, and words we use now 20 months ago would have just been crazy, absolute crazy. Let me give an example of this. Just this past Friday night, um, Lynn and I were going out for dinner and this interchange happened between the two of us. We were driving to the restaurant and Lynn said, oh no, I forgot my mask. And I said, calmly, without any, any totally normal, I said, well, no, no problem, I have a mask right here. And then I actually reached over to the glove box of the car. I opened it up and I said, and here's another one. Which one do you want? And she said, oh, I'll take that one. And then she responded by saying, uh, oh, you know, I, I mean, are we going to have to wear masks in the restaurant? And I said, I don't know if we're going to have to wear masks in the restaurant. Why don't we, uh, why don't we we'll walk in with it and then we'll kind of look around and see what's going on. And then we can take it off if nobody's wearing it. And we had that conversation normal, like nothing was weird, right? 20 months ago, if you'd overheard that conversation, you'd have said, what, kind, what planet are they on? What year is this? Did we, did we you know, go through time travel? What in the world is going on here? Because phrases and words that 20 months ago were not part of our conversation are just part of our conversation now. It's just, it's just absolutely normal. I've had fun in the last several months actually looking up online the top used or overused phrases in business or just in life or by people in the English language during these last 20 months. And it's been fun to see what some of these are. Some of them are obvious to you, you could name them. So for instance, words like COVID, phrases like social distancing, um, pandemic, quarantine. We just say that stuff now, right? Like, like it just comes out of our mouth every day. You hear it in this, the worship service, in the announcements. Um, and then of course there's some work phrases that have, that have been added over the last 20 months. Uh, work remotely. Again, 20 months ago it would have been like, what, did, what does that mean, work remotely? And then phrases like, um, in these uncertain times, that's a business phrase. And of course the key business phrase of the last 20 months, pivot, pivot. Everybody wants to pivot. And then there's some overused phrases that have occurred for us in the last 20 months. Um, and this is one of the, I think in several places, this is listed as the most used or overused phrase. And it's this, out of an abundance of caution. <laughs> How many times have you heard that? More times than you can count. And the most overused word, uh, in, I'm sure many of you could guess this, unprecedented. Unprecedented, again, has been used so much that we don't even know what it means anymore. And of course, there's the four-letter word that we've had this, this pandemic, Zoom. Um, we're all tired of that. But my favorite, absolute favorite phrase that 20 months ago meant nothing and now <laughs> means something to every one of us is this, you're on mute. <laughs> again, 20 months ago, none of us know what that means. Now we're all in here chuckling about that because we know exactly what that means. 
Another phrase that usually, or another word that's usually uh, been used in business over the last 20 months a lot is the word that's up there, reimagine, reimagine. And by reimagine, what they often mean in business over these last 20 months is that we need to get creative. We need to, um, we need to think outside the box. We need to come up with new ideas. And of course that fits with business. But when we talk about reimagining the church, we're not talking about coming up with new ideas that are different ideas than have been in the church forever. We're not talking about, oh, we need to think completely outside the box of what it means to be church. Uh, no, what we mean is to think again or imagine again what is intended by God in his church. It's, what, it's the same idea when we think of reformation or reformation. We want to be reformed into the image of God. We want to be reformed into correct doctrine. Or when you think of the term renewal, we don't think about, oh, we need to come up with a, a new way. No, we want to say we're, we're out of line and we want to be renewed to be in line with the Lord Jesus Christ. So when we talk about reimagine, what we're talking about is getting the image right. Getting the image of the church correct. And that leads us to this passage in Acts chapter 2, beginning at verse 37. We're going to jump here in the middle of it, so I think it's important for us to have the context here. And the context is this. It's the day of Pentecost. And the Holy Spirit has fallen on the disciples. And as a result of that, they begin to speak or preach the gospel uh, to the people there in Jerusalem in their languages, all these people that are visiting Jerusalem. And some people are amazed at it. But some people just assume that the disciples are drunk. So then Peter gets up and he begins this great sermon, begins by saying, listen, it's only nine o'clock in the morning. We're not drunk. Let me tell you what happened. And the sermon is amazing. And we know it's got to be the Holy Spirit, right? Because every other time we've heard Peter try to talk, he's usually stuck his foot in his mouth. And here he delivers an amazing sermon. Has to be the Holy Spirit. And he goes on to speak using the Old Testament and showing that the Messiah that was promised in the Old Testament is, has come in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he concludes his sermon by saying, this Jesus whom you crucified has become both Lord and Christ. He is the promised Messiah. And this is where we pick up in chapter two, verse 37. It says this, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation." So those who received his word were baptized and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any as had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Brothers and sisters, the grass withers and the flower fades, 
but the word of our God will stand forever. I'm not going to exegete all these verses this morning. I'm going to focus in on one verse, verse 42. We're going to look at that, that one verse. And I thought it was really great of our director of communications, Rob Roten, to actually put up banners here in the sanctuary with my sermon title and the text. And I thought maybe if we keep doing this, then at least when you leave here, you have those two things. I know the sermon title. I know the text. Focusing in on these, we see clearly, certainly in verse 42, even as it's, as it's uh, illustrated in the verses that are following, what a church is supposed to be, what a healthy church is supposed to be. And here it is. A healthy church is a group of redeemed people who are together devoted to these four things. Let me say that again. And if you're, if you're writing, if you're taking notes, write this down. A healthy church is a group of redeemed people who are together devoted to these four things. Well, let's look at those words quickly. First of all, redeemed, a group of redeemed people. These people here, these 3,000 souls who came to know Christ that day, what happened to them? First of all, they received the grace of God and they are continuing to experience the grace of God. That is what redemption means. Having received the grace of God, being restored, being redeemed to the Lord Je- through the Lord Jesus Christ to God the Father, and they're continuing to experience that grace. Not only that, they are filled with the Holy Spirit. That's the context. That's who these people are. And so what we see them do in verse 42 is not an attempt to try to gain God's favor. No, it's a response to what God has done in them and God is doing in them. They're experiencing grace. They're filled with the Spirit. And so they do these things. A group of redeemed people, they're together. They're a community. Notice the words that are used all the way through verses 37 and 47. Words like they and them and all. It's not individualistic. It is our great tendency in the United States because we live in a culture that is very individualistic to think of ourselves only in the context of just me and Jesus and not often to understand, no, I've been saved to a family. It's us together. And we respond to the Lord together and the Lord gives us his grace together. That's what it means to be the church is to be together in these things, not just individuals. And it says next, they were devoted. The Greek word there is proskarterio. And that word used several places in the New Testament literally means to be strong towards something. To be strong towards something. And so in English, we translate it committed or persistent or here devoted And here in this verse, verse 42, it's in the active tense, which means this, it's continuing. It's not something that happened to them one time on the day of Pentecost. It's not something that happened at one time. No, it could be rightly translated in some versions of our our Bibles translated this, they were continually devoted, continually devoted. Or as Kent Hughes says in his commentary, this is a steadfast, single-minded devotion to a certain course of action. They were continually devoted. That, of course, leads us, I hope, to some questions even about ourselves this morning. Toward what or toward whom is your devotion these days? Or maybe better, or it would work better, we get a more honest answer maybe, (laughs) if we were to say, what would our friends say What would our close friends say we are continually devoted to? You're like, ah, Todd, you're starting to meddle. I'm actually going to meddle more. 
All right, we're gonna dive into three questions I want us to ask ourselves from this text as we unpack verse 42. But I wanna give you the context in which I'm gonna meddle here. And this is the context, brothers and sisters. My wife and family, we've been here in this church for 20 years. This church is dear to me. I can say with all sincerity, I love you. And you have loved my family in ways that I couldn't have possibly imagined over the last two decades. You are absolutely dear to me. Not only that, that's almost, that's just a little part. The bigger part is this. I know that almost everyone here, if you're a member of the church, you've confessed that you have been redeemed. You've experienced the grace of God and you are experiencing the grace of God. And that your identity is sealed in Christ because you've been filled with the Holy Spirit. So brothers and sisters in Christ, those who are experiencing the grace of God, who've been redeemed, who are filled with the Spirit, Let's meddle and let's ask three questions of ourselves this morning. And the first question is this, how is my devotion to the word of God? How is my devotion to the word of God? It says there that they were continually devoted to the apostles teaching. Can you imagine the early days after, the, after Peter's sermon, after they came to faith? And then, and then there is the redeemed people together. What did they do? I, can you imagine? They probably were running up to the disciples saying, listen, would you come over to my house? Our group is gathered. Would you, would you please tell us everything you could possibly remember that Jesus said? Like, don't leave anything out. We need to hear everything. And if it's going to take too long, just come back tomorrow. Take, come back the next day. And please, can you, can you open up the Old Testament like Peter opened up the Old Testament and show us Christ? Can you, can you show us that? We need to hear that. They were hungry. They were absolutely hungry for God's word. Brothers and sisters, are, are we hungry here at Second for God's word? Are we hungry? In many ways, I can say yes. It is one of my great, the greatest joys of my life to teach or preach in this church. I tell my friends who, who don't live here, often, many of them in ministry, I say, listen, I, it is so, it's so much joy to teach this congregation. I, say, I don't care if I'm preaching on Sunday morning or if I'm teaching a Sunday school class with four people in it. I'm telling you, when Second Pres people show up, they want to hear God's word and they will listen to you and they will engage. They want it. They're hungry. I love that. We heard it talked about in the video. The, 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 there's, there's more women's Bible studies than just overflow. But we saw it there. We saw amen. There's other, some other possibilities for men's Bible study as well. It's awesome. And I, I tell the younger men who, who sometimes sub for me and Barton in amen, I warn them, hey, listen, man, don't be fluffy. Don't be fluffy on Thursday morning. Those men will eat you alive. <laughs> they expect you to exposit the word verse by verse. And if you don't, they're going to call you on it. Praise God for that. There is hunger there is hunger in this church. But, brothers and sisters, I fear that there are things that are stealing our devotion. That are taking our devotion away from God's word. Can I give you just one example of something that I think is stealing our devotion? I know we all have one of these. <laughs> On Sunday morning, sometime between, I don't, I don't know when it appears, I've tried to actually get it to stop appearing on my phone. I don't know, I didn't sign up for it, 
And I haven't quite learned how to not sign up for it anymore, how to get it off. And it's this little thing that pops up sometime on Sunday morning that just says, here's your average screen time every day for this last week, right? And I'm like, oh, okay. And I used to, I used to tap on it and look, I don't do that anymore. It's too convicting. I don't want to see my average screen time, right? So now it pops up and I'm just like, oh, I need to remember how to take that off. But I just go ahead and swipe it out. You know, like, nope, don't want to see that. It's convicting. Convicting to see the scream time. I wonder if there was, an, there was an, an app or something that we showed my page time, my average page time in this. What I don't want is a comparison of my screen time and my page time. That might be too convicting. You know, in Colossians chapter 3, 16, chapter 3, verse 16, Uh, Paul, writing to the church of Colossae, gives them this exhortation. He says, let the word of Christ dwell richly among you, teaching, admonishing, singing hymns to each other, all with thankful hearts. Let the word of Christ dwell among you richly so that you're talking to each other about it. You're reading it. You're studying it. You're hungry. It's it's the words that are on the, the tip of your tongue are God's words. Let it dwell among you richly. What does it look like for the word of Christ to dwell, us, dwell among us richly. Well, a dear pastor, a friend of mine, said it this way many years ago. He said it looks like this. It means you believe God's word. It means you read God's word. It means you apply God's word. It means you teach God's word to each other, to your children, to your grandchildren. That's what it means for God's word to dwell richly among us. Believe it, read it, apply it, teach it. This past week, I got the greatest email from a young woman in this church. She, uh, she sent me an email and said, uh, hey, listen, I, I, I'm looking for a, a Bible memorization plan. Um, I want to memorize verses. Do you have a plan I could use or do you know of a good plan for memorizing scripture? Oh, I loved getting that email and I wrote her. I said, listen, let's, let's figure out a time to talk on the phone. I do, I do have a really good plan that I learned years ago that I think is, is just excellent for this and it's not overwhelming. So let's talk about this. And I, I, I thought, wow, that's so encouraging that, that she asked about that. And then I thought a little bit later, you know, it's been, it's been well over five years since anybody's asked me that. And I used to get asked a lot more. How do I memorize scripture? I fear sometimes that the other things that we are giving our devotion to are stealing our devotion away from the word of Christ dwelling richly among us. You know, I looked this up earlier this morning just to make sure I still remembered it correctly. Um, That if you were to read scripture at the same rate that I read it this morning, just a little bit ago when I was reading these verses at that rate, they call it like the pulpit rate. Um, that if you read at that rate, it would take you 70 hours and 40 minutes to read through the entire Bible. Now, that's like, a, that's like three days. Don't do that. Um, but you know what that translates into? About 12 minutes a day for a year. Hmm. Well, let's say you're a slower reader like me. So 15 minutes a day. 15 minutes a day for the next year, and I could read through the entire Bible Hmm. You know, second, second Presbyterian Church has at, today, right now, and I think that we're, we're adding a few in a few weeks, but we have right now 2,733 members. 
Can you imagine what this church would be like if all 2,733 members were continually devoted to God's word? And so let's ask ourselves this morning, let's ask ourselves, each of us, how is my devotion to the word of God? Second question, how is my devotion to the family of God? It says that they were continually devoted to the fellowship. That word in the Greek is koinonia. It means commonality. It means sharing. They, 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 they participated together. Um, there was a, a common, there was something that they had in common together. And you know what it was? You know what it was that they had in common together? We actually sang about it when we sang to God be the glory. They sang, we sang the vilest offender who truly believes. That's what makes us, that's where, that's our common, that's where we all share in common. We are all vilest offenders. <laughs> and in believing in Christ, he's redeemed us. That's what we share. It's the same thing that, 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 that Paul, uh, excuse me, that John brings out in 1 John chapter 1, verse 3, when he talks about that we have fellowship with God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ as a result of that. We have fellowship with each other. We have koinonia with each other. We have that commonality. Now, what, how did that happen? It happened because it costs something. It's a relationship that costs something. To have fellowship is not to just have donuts and coffee. And a lot of you know, I love a good donut and coffee. But that's not fellowship. Fellowship is when we're actually living in a relationship in a way that, that, that cares and shares and costs us something. And so as Christ has paid the price for us to be able to have fellowship with God, you can see in verses 44 through 46 that these people who had come to know Christ begin to have fellowship with each other. They begin to be devoted to the family of God, devoted to each other. It spreads to each of them. And there's many ways that this is done. I thought of two that might be important to us this morning. The first one is just the sharing of our time, the giving of our time to each other. Being willing to cost our, our time, to show up together. You know, in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24, the writer of Hebrews says this, and let us consider how to stir one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as some are in the habit, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching near. To share our time with each other, to give of our of our presence with each other. The other thing I thought of is possessions. That clearly in, in verses 44 through 46, they shared their possessions. One of my favorite, because I just think it's fascinating, uh, passages in regarding to our possessions comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 8, where Paul is speaking to the Corinthian church about the churches in Macedonia who are poor churches but are begging to participate in providing the financial need of these other places. Listen to what's, what Paul writes here, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. That is crazy talk. <laughs> Think about that. He says, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty has overflowed in a wealth of generosity. Only the Holy Spirit could do that. And he goes on. 
For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, verse 4, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. Now, if you read that in the Greek, verse 4, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints, the words taking part here in the English, if you see it in the Greek, you know what word it is? It's koinonia, fellowship. They were pleading, Paul, please let us be in fellowship with the family of God here. Please let us participate and commit our possessions. Let us share our stuff with them. 2,733 members here at Second. How many of us are devoted to sharing our time, to showing up, to being present? I don't know. I don't know that figure. <laughs> I do know the figure of how many of us give. Now, I don't actually know the number. I know a percentage. The, the giving here is, is highly confidential. No pastor knows who gives what. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. But I do know the percentage. And I do know that 66% or two-thirds of this church give. And you know what? You give generously. I'm blown away by it. When some of my other pastor friends outside the city ask me about it, I, I'm actually embarrassed to tell them how generous you are. I've been overwhelmed by what this church family has done for the last 20 years. It's so beautiful, so powerful. But you heard me say it was 66% two-thirds that means one-third of our church family doesn't give anything can you imagine can you imagine if all 2,733 people members were continually devoted to sharing their time and possession at seconds can you imagine that what this church would be like I've shared, I've talked about this with some friends and, and I said, you know what? Some friends here at Second, we'd have to have special committees just to figure out what to do with it all. Oh, wouldn't you love to set up those committees? That would be incredible. So let's ask ourselves this morning, how is my devotion to sharing my time and possessions? How is my devotion to the family of God? And finally, how is my devotion to the worship of God? You see there in these last two things says breaking of bread. They were daily, were continually devoted to the breaking of bread. And here it's more than just a fellowship meal. There's occasional places in the book of Acts when it's just talking about a meal. But overwhelmingly, uh, you'll see this phrase being referred to, the Lord's Supper. Um, and certainly here in this context, when we're talking about spiritual activities, most scholars would agree this is talking about the Lord's Supper, something they did as, an, as a spiritual, as a worship activity. And notice too that when it says prayer, it doesn't just say prayer, it says the prayers. What are the prayers? The prayers would have been the prayers that they would have found in the Old Testament. And then even as the Gospels were written, they would have learned other prayers like the Magnificat and Zachariah's prayer and eventually the Lord's prayer. And these things were, were part of their worship. So yes, we want to be devoted to prayer, to personal prayer, but this is more about gathering for prayer. This is about us coming together and gathering for worship. 
And brothers and sisters, more than anything, more than anything, gathering for worship is the core of a church. Gathering for worship is the core. Whatever church you're in or wherever part of the world, the very core of it is gathering for the worship of God. And you are here today. Thank you. You encourage me. I'm not saying that as a pastor. I'm not. I'm saying it as a brother in Christ. You encourage me when you show up. I remember a few years back, I was, I was, I was doing liturgy, and later on that week, I was talking. There was a 20-something girl sitting over here, and I said, uh, she was like eight rows back, and I said, yeah, hey, this past Sunday was so cool when you were like helping you and her dad find your place in the bulletin, find his place in the bulletin and open the hymnal and da-da-da. And she said, you can, you can see me? I was like, uh, yeah. <laughs> You were eight rows back. And by the way, I can see the people in the balcony too, right? She's like, wow, I didn't realize you guys could see us. Yes, we can, we can see you. <laughs> and so one of my greatest joys is when I'm up here singing and where I often lose it emotionally is not just the music, which is amazing, and not just the words, which are so beautiful, but it's looking at my brothers and sisters in Christ who've shown up to help sing with me, to help pray with me. And my heart is full and I can't control my emotions because it's so encouraging. But we have 2,733 members and we're not all here. And we're not all on vacation. And we're not all physically hindered. I know some of you who are watching right now, you're physically hindered. You, you have longed to come to church, to be here present with us. And because of your health, you are unable, but you're faithful to watch. And I just want you to know, brother and sister, you're dear to us. And we understand and I'm thankful for those of you who are on vacation right now who decided it was just too hard to drive home from Oxford last night because it was too exciting. But you got up and you're watching. And I'm glad you're tuning in. But I know some of you are sitting there in Memphis, Tennessee in your house because you got up this morning and you thought, man, I just love being in my PJs and I love drinking my coffee and I love sitting in my chair. And I just want you to know, I get it. I totally get it. I love my chair too. <laughs> and I love my coffee. But I'm telling you, it's better here. It's better here. You'll enjoy it more if you're here. And we miss you. And I miss you. Can you imagine... Can you imagine how exciting Sundays would be if this room were packed? Can you imagine how exciting Sundays would be if everyone who was in town and physically able were continually devoted to worship and we were all here? I don't know if any of us would be able to make it through a song. 
It would just be too exciting, too emotional, too overwhelming. And so let's each ask ourselves this morning, how is my devotion to the worship of God? I warned you I was going to meddle. I know some of you are thinking, this is why I really try to miss Stewardship Sundays. <laughs> are any of us cut to the heart? I am. I've been this week. In my study, I've been cut to the heart. So what do we do? What do we do with that? That's what... That's what they asked the apostles. Verse 37, brothers, what shall we do? I think the answer for us this morning is the same answer that's there. Verse 38, what shall we do? We have the gift given to us of repentance, a gift of forgiveness, gift of the Holy Spirit sanctifying us. We can repent of our lack of devotion. We can receive forgiveness for that. We can continue to grow and be sanctified by the power of the Holy Spirit in us. Brothers and sisters, this could be a, a new day, the start of a new day, where, where, where whatever, whatever we had messed up yesterday and before that in our devotion, we can be forgiven of that. And we can look this way. And all together, all together, all 2,733 of us. We can reimagine the church. Can you imagine how great that would be? Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for the beauty and the truth of your word. Thank you for redeeming us. Thank you for forgiving us. Thank you for giving us the promised Holy Spirit. Thank you for sanctifying us. Thank you for being faithful to us always. Thank you for letting us be a church here at the corner of Goodlett and Poplar. Thank you for the fellowship, for the worship. Now, Father, work in us in such a way that you might be glorified in this church. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.